The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 181 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, episode 181, it's another back-to-back day. How are you doing? What's happening? What are we going to talk about in the first 10 minutes or so of this show? I'm spectacular. I'm happy to be here. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. What are you up to these days, Barry? Um, I'm just running the shittest podcast going. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, planning. I'm going away to Vegas. By the time you guys are listening to this episode, let me see if I can work this out. I think this one will be out on the 14th of June, so I will be flying back from Vegas on the 15th, so this will be my last night in Vegas when you're listening to this. Um, So I will either be happy and talking about a Vegas trip where I really enjoyed it and I didn't, you know, regret going or want to go home uh, soon, etc. Or, you know, who knows? That's the thing about poker. If we just turn it to that, it's like, I could go... um, I know I'm... Anybody listening to this show is... I know I'm capable of going there and getting a, a run in a tournament or whatever, a decent score, and then who knows what you parlay that into. So, um, But I said with Alex before we were talking, before we recorded it, it's like I'm going as a different trip than when I went six years ago. You know, the last trip was a wash because I went with my girlfriend. I didn't play poker. Six years ago I went like so invested um, emotionally, my money, financially. I remember running bad in the few months up to it. And, like, my bankroll being slowly depleted as Vegas was approaching. And then I got a score in the, I think it was the, the you know, one of the ones on Stars, one of the dailies. I think it was the, I don't know, the Big 8 or the Big 8 or whatever they call them, one of them. It was, like, second for 5,000-something or something like that. Uh, just maybe, like, 10 days before I went to Vegas or something. So that put me in a you know a good mood and gave me extra money to go there with and play and yeah touch wood. I, Alex uh, just said I've never said that in a long time. I said it before we came on here because Skype was causing problems, and uh, I yeah touch wood that it will be a good trip. I've never had a losing trip when I've played there and um, I've always tended to run well. Um, but just the last few, I think the best I've had in Vegas is two thirds. Um, so yeah, looking for a second or better this time, Alex. Well, that's it, I. I honestly, when I first heard that, my thought was, don't you just go to Vegas to be in Vegas? Don't you just go onto the court to play basketball? Don't you just go onto the pitch to play football? I, you're just going to play, right? Like, yeah, like, who cares what happens? Like, obviously, I want you to win, but if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, right? It's still going to be fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the results, I, I'm indifferent. I'm not sitting here. If I if I don't get a decent run in a tournament or a final table or whatever, I'm not going to say what a wasted trip that was. No, for me, it's going to be a total decompress, actually. I'm going there for right. 11 nights of being a slob uh, outside my <laughs> Uh, I'm going to enjoy the food. No, I want to, you know, I'll go to the pool. And uh, although it is roasting, it's going to be really hot there. I remember going June, July last time before. But 
you know, you get a little shaded bit, a little canopy, and then just go in the pool for a little cool down. But when you're as uh, white as me with red hair, although I do, I'm not as bad as my brother. He really gets burned, you know, sometimes. But no, I can take a bit of the sun sometimes. So I'm looking forward to going there and just relaxing and playing poker. And yeah, I'm meeting up with a few people. I'm going to see who's around, uh, guys I've met in Vegas before. And just enjoy it, yeah, and see what happens. You never know. That's the thing about Vegas and poker. I think like when you go on these trips, it's like I I've got a rough idea of what games I'm gonna play, where I'm gonna play, but you know it's all you never know what happens. The first night you play or the second night might lead to something else that then changes your mind, and and that's gambling. So um, and I I love that about it. And I'll probably go to the gambler's bookshop again and have a good. Nice. through there and see if there's anything worth picking up and I also last time uh, from downtown I walked up one of the side streets there and just kept walking up towards the stratosphere that real shady area and it was all the pawn shops and antique shops and stuff there down near the sort of courthouse and everything and they're all uh, good fun for me because I can combine it I can always try and pick up some bits that I'll bring back and sell and stuff as well so yeah I'm looking forward to it it's a holiday with poker and the chance that that you know the promise that that contains but yeah i'm i've been disappointed many times before so i'm not going <laughs> to i'm not going to go this is the trip and then no it's not and then come home like that it's it is the trip because it's the trip the trip is the trip not the results in poker or anything it's whatever you know um it'll be good i'm looking forward to it it actually got me thinking i i thought this the other day I was like, sometimes, I've the last few weeks, or maybe even the last couple of months, I've been taking a real sort of macro overview of business, my business and my life, you know, like that, and thinking, right, what can I do, what can I adjust here to maybe go to, you know, for want of a better phrase, the next level, you know, the higher, this, that, dealing in higher end items, etc., and I've been doing that the last couple of years, uh, dealing in a lot of higher end stuff, higher value items, buying and selling. So again, to relate to poker, if anyone's listening, how can you get to the higher stakes and stuff? And then I started looking going, that is that old thing of like, you're chasing this no end game. You know, like if you're buying and selling antiques and collectibles, technically you could be buying and selling Picassos and Van Goghs that are 60 million at Christie's, you know, like there, there'll be people that do that, so you know, that's it, and with poker you could be sitting down at million dollars you know, the one drop, why aren't you playing the one drop you're a failure then, you know, if you're a poker player, so, and I said to my girlfriend, I said, do you know what it just dawned on me, and she's like, what I said, sometimes I beat myself up, because purely because I'm not a multi-millionaire yet you know, really? and she said and she said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. I just think internally sometimes I think when I step back and look at my life, like I've got it really good. You know, I work for myself. I've got nobody to answer to. Today, uh, as an example, my brother called me at 10 past one in the afternoon and said, oh, you know, it was his uh, kid's sports day, my nephew's sports day. And he's like, do you want to come? Like 20 minutes notice. He forgot to tell me last night. I said, uh, yeah, of course, whatever. I just, you know, all my stuff was done or whatever. I had some stuff to uh, do. I could do it when I came back. And then obviously I had the podcast to record. But I had, I had that luxury of just jumping in a car and going and seeing that moment, you know, my nephew. And it was good because they actually give out prizes at this one. Uh, he got third in the team event out of like maybe 15 teams or something. He got third. And he won one of his individual races. He got first in that. So it's good. They were given like first, second, third, and the other kids got nothing, which is what sports they should be. Because he's had years where he's got nothing, you know, and it's important. And I said, this sort of like people that want to get rid of stuff like that, and they want us all, no, we all just, everyone gets a trophy. You know, everyone, there's no need to exclude people and be like that. And it's like, one, life's not that. There's winners and losers, and there's different degrees of winners and losers. And people that win financially can uh, fail miserably in their personal lives, etc., and vice versa. But it's important that you at least recognise achievement, you know, and, and also have that feeling of losing and disappointment and going, well, 
you know, I'd like to win, because then you get that thrill or whatever of when you do accomplish something. So, but no, that was a real epiphany moment, Alex. I really do think that. Like sometimes I go, what is the big anxiety or struggle or internal monologue of like, no matter what I'm doing, I'm like, oh shit, like, I got to do more. I got to do, you know, that's not good enough of that. And it's it's about being ambitious, I think, but also it's so surreal. I mean. You can't beat yourself up because you're not a multi-millionaire. It's it's crazy. Because joking aside, I do live like one sometimes. I like the amount of traveling I do, great hotels, amazing food. I got zero problems in the grand scheme of things. I can get up where I want, do what I want, no schedule, and still there's this voice or something in me sometimes that goes, right, you gotta like try and step this up and get to the next bit. That's that or whatever. And it's not trinkets I'm chasing either. It's just a higher... It's playing a higher stakes game, you know, in, in everything. I think I think that's what I, I, I'm sort of striving for. My belief is you never get to the high stakes game until you stop caring about getting there. It's much like seduction. If, if you really need... If you really need something, it just... That becomes your value, I need this, right? I want this, not I have this. If you believe you have the capability, not not to get too into that, the secret BS, but if you really think you have the capability, a lot of times it will happen, but that means you have to be comfortable with where you're at. And I think right now, you want to be at another level, but I don't think you're exactly comfortable where you're at because I'm not sure where that comes from, to be honest. I think maybe it could go into that sports day. You were discussing how there's winners and losers and why that's so important. And I I think, honestly, this sounds... Trying to tie this all together, I swear I'm going somewhere with this, guys, but I think participation trophies are dangerous. I really think we just had another school shooting in America and the the kid was into some girl and the girl, the girl turned him down and he, he took a gun into school and just decided to kill eight people. Now I understand there's a number of reasons that happened, right? But one of the things that's blowing my mind is entitlement. And I don't think you encourage I don't think you discourage entitlement when everybody's a winner because that's not how life works. If you want to talk about winners and losers, if there's a girl you have your eye on, you take your best shot at her, you take your best shot and it doesn't work, that's life, buddy. You got to walk along and be done. And that's, that's it. You didn't have your act together at that point. I don't think we teach people that. Now, I think you did something which is really healthy, uh, I don't think there's any anybody who is as driven as you are, Barry, who did not ex- experience a loss at some point in life. Uh, in, wherever that came from, your childhood or whatnot, you experience a loss, and I actually think that's really good for you because it, it creates an outsized response. Uh, this, because he has to come up in every single one of our episodes. Now, Steve Nicholas Taleb calls this anti-fragility. Have you have you read that book, Barry, by him? No, again, I own it, but I'm aware of it. I've watched a lot of his presentations on it, but I'm, I've not read it yet. I've got anti-fragility to read in there. I got skin in the game. I bought them both. Oh, uh, those those two are my favorite, like way my favorite. But his whole thing at the beginning is he asks, what's the opposite of fragility? And most people will say robust, but he says the opposite of positive is not neutral. It's negative. And the opposite of something that is damaged easily is not something that can't be damaged. It's something that grows from being damaged. Now, if you think about Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team, that created an outsized response. He was damaged and he grew from it. Just like the Hydra that you cut one head off and two heads are replaced, he came back and became Michael Jordan. You think about Tom Brady. Tom Brady, a quarterback who thought he was first-round material, got passed up by every team four times. 
before he was drafted in the fifth round. And that anger created an outsized response, which is why he's probably the best quarterback of all time in American football. You have a demon. Whatever it is, it's a demon. It's a voice saying you need more. And the reason for your success, the reason for why you can go see uh, your nephew out of the blue is because you have used that voice, that demon, to propel you to greater security, to a higher work ethic than most people have. I feel really bad for guys that were studs in high school because they never had a loss to motivate them. I think one of the worst things that could ever happen to you is you have a perfect suburban upbringing because it gives you no fire. It gives you no outsized reaction. And you do have that, but you have to recognize that demon is your own. That's your possession. He's yours. He doesn't tell you what to do. He's supposed to be there. This other voice, this dark side, is supposed to be there to say, like, hey, you got to get over to the next level. But you have to be the man there, Barry, and go, like, you know what, buddy? I use you to get to the next spot, but I'm happy right where I am. I will use you when the time comes to it. And... That's, I, I think that's where you're at right now, right? Which is, you want to get to that next spot, but you have to recognize you're still going to be yourself. You're still going to be fine if you don't. It, you already have the life you wanted. The, the life you and I want is to not work for other people. It that's, is, it. that's it. It's, I want to think independently. I want to do what I do independently. And I do not want somebody telling me what to do. I want to be able to have my opinions, right? That is something. Do you, do you realize there's entire classes of people, Barry, that are not entitled to their opinion? There are people right now in the United States that if they say they have a, like, what year is this? They say they have a specific political persuasion. There's a good chance they'll be fired. Right? You can't have unpopular opinions on something if you're a mid-level banker. You can't show up. This is something, uh, by the way, this is a Taleb concept, which is, are you anti-fragile or are you fragile? And there's a lot of people in the corporate workplace that, yeah, they got $70,000, yes, a year. Yes, they have a couple nice suits. Yeah, they got a nice car that they drive to work. But if they say the wrong thing in the wrong place at the wrong time, that's it, it's over, it's gone. And then they have to find something else. You don't, that's not a demon I want to deal with because I have no control over that demon. I want my own demons that push me forward. I want to use them. And I, and I think, I think the worst thing that society teaches you is that drive is bad for you, right? And we teach them that with these participation trophies, as you were putting, it's like loss is a very good thing for you it will create an outsized reaction. It is an anecdote, right? If you let it create an outsized reaction into you, if you dwell upon your thoughts, you just keep dwelling on your loss. It's like, again, it's the hydra. You cut off one head, two, two heads come up. But if you recognize, if I act, if I use this thought to make me act, I will go forward. You, the only fight you are having every day, the only person you really have, honestly, is... You're in, this, you're in this ring when I see somebody who took uh, – uh, honestly, when I see somebody who uh, – that, that took a job that is contrary to their values, right? Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I see a spectator looking at you in the boxing ring, right? And it's you, and it's not you versus your demon because your demon's actually – that's telling you you have to move forward, Right? that you have to get further up. That, that guy's just your trainer. He's in your trainer in your corner, right? And he's kind of, you know, he's like Polly from Rocky once in a while, right? He's kind of a craggly ass, right? And once in a while, he tells you, you got to move up, Rock. And you're like, it's not the time right now, right? But the real competitor across from you the ring, in the ring is your bills. It is your, it, it's your groceries. It's the light bill. It's your mortgage. It's your rent. It's, uh, it's the ability to take a train with your girlfriend and spend the night at a good inn as opposed to a dumpy motel 
that in round after round after round, you have stood the test of time, Barry. And I don't think you give. First of all, I think you think this uh, voice telling you you got to move up is not your trainer. I think you think of it as this negative thing. Your demons are your own. You use them yourself. And I don't think the, I don't think you understand that you're 55 and 0 right now as an entrepreneur, right? Because those bills keep getting paid, right? Yeah, that's it. I know. My my friend always used to say to me, I I'd usually have this conversation uh, with my friend, and he would always say to me, it was an old gypsy saying, "You're an." I think I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to ask him again what the actual. I'm sure it's like you're another year on. And oh, I said, what do you mean? And he said, the gypsies say that to each other, like the traveling community, like when they're all wheeling it, they're like, you're another year on. It's like you've lived another year, another full year of good food and travel and whatever. Like you say, you've paid your bills, you've no debt, whatever. It's like, that's your win. That's your, you know, that's yes. your another year on. You've not had to work for the man or whatever. And like what you say, I mean, if I work for, even myself, if I work for the government or... Um, a big corporation and I did this podcast part time I would be fired and one person would listen to it some of the language <laughs> yeah. some of the language or things I say I'd be gone you know and whereas it's my this is you know I own the domain it's my podcast whatever it's the Ask Alex show but anything I say I'm responsible for what I'm saying personally and unless it's real hate speech then nobody can say anything Right. And we're not there yet. (laughs) Well, and uh, the most anti-fragile profession in the world is that of a craftsman or an artist. Think of this as a thought experiment. If I go onto the street tomorrow and kill somebody in a fist fight, is that going to hurt my book sales or help them? Yeah. It's probably going to help them, right? Mm -hmm. That's, That's a weird thought. But... Uh, can you hear me, Barry? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it cut out there for a second. But yeah, there's certain... Now, obviously, if you're a mid-level banker or you work for the government, I don't think you're going to escape that. Now, what, what, would you ever get another book published again? Probably you'd have to do it yourself, and hopefully Amazon doesn't have a character clause when you publish it. But yeah, there's, there's stuff you have control of. There's stuff that allows you to control your destiny. There's not... In, yeah, that's the thing, Barry. By the way, the talk I just gave you is the talk I give myself all the time, which is uh, that gypsy phrase is really, yeah, of course, anything I say or Barry says, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. It's 2,000 years old. I'm not surprised the gypsies found this first, but there's a lot of times I'm trying to coach and there's just a student I can't get through to. Uh, there's many times I'm looking at a concept and there's been concepts for two years I can't really get a handle on. Uh, I, I try putting to work in my own games. I try putting to work in my lessons. And a lot of times I have to just focus on what I'm really good at because it does produce results, but it does frustrate me. Uh, there's lots of times, yeah, sure, uh, it would have been really neat to final table in Montreal and have two WPT final tables within the space of a year as opposed to just the one. And it was frustrating to lose the flip. And, yeah, there's a – you know, Barry, we've been doing this show for like eight years. How many times have we talked about me losing a flip deep in a, like a PCA or something, you know, a WSOP? Or the time I got set over set the last few tables at WSOP, right? And or the the one out or on the the online. Oh, that's show. right, the one out or an aptos for like a hundred thousand or whatever it is, right? And if I wanted to, if I was a sour, pl- I mean, the way I used to do it is, I'd say like I don't have any anger from my tournaments. I just leave them in a bar somewhere along the way, right? I used to just drink off my sorrows. That was what I did. But now that I'm older, I realize all that stuff makes you tougher. It makes you grow. It, it, going back to that anti-fragility, I, th- I really think this is going to be my favorite book of all time because I think that is the most powerful concept. Every time you flip out of a tournament, you're a little less scared of it. So you stop caring, and you start playing the way you damn well know you should. And the hundredth time somebody has made fun of me for busting deep in a tournament – 
I, I start, you stop caring, right? So you stop caring what people think and you play the way you damn well know you should. That's not something I had at 18, 19. And the big thing to realize is you are the champion going 55-0 and 0 versus your bills. I haven't had a job with a boss and a paycheck and a tie since I was 18 years old. That was when I quit my last job as a security guard. Uh, where they made me dress like a Mormon kid who was working as a missionary every day. But they... they you uh, got that look. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's been... Tw- every time somebody disparages me, or when I disparage myself, I always have to remind myself, you're 12 years in, man. Like, mm-hmm. one year of living on your own by your wits, that's a... That's a season. That's another season in the big leagues. You just went up there and you took your bat and you hit a few out of the park. Maybe you could have gotten a hold of a few more. Maybe you could maybe you could have done a little bit better, but damn it, you're still in the game. You're still moving and yeah. at your age, you're you're probably growing. And not to I know I keep bringing this back every time, guys, but I really think if you want to keep being that elite performer, you gotta you gotta take care of your health like every way. I every day I realize it's so much more of a health game. Are you getting that more as you get older, Barry? You start realizing that. Yeah, see, the last I'd say six to eight weeks, I've been really serious. I know I joke about yes, my fizzy juice awesome. and what my fizzy juice and this and that in my diet, but. Really, a big change in the last, like how I'm eating, and I've been doing a lot of exercise and stuff, and I've really noticed the difference in mood and feeling, and just lots of stuff. And I'm actually doing it for, you know, like what you said before, and like the the reason I started going for like long walks again and stuff is, it's not even about losing weight. It's just a a mental thing to go out and listen to a podcast or have a walk, and I think to myself, etc. Getting a little bit healthier and a bit more fresh air, etc., is just a, a good side effect of it. Yeah, it, I mean, I think you're doing it the right way. That makes me so happy. I can't even tell you, Barry. That, because, yeah, it's like everybody thinks, well, when people say you need to work out, we think like, all right, got to be Arnold Schwarzenegger tomorrow, three and a half hours in the gym, and i got to eat my meat and potatoes afterward, right? When... Really, all you need to do to start is, like, walk your dog and listen to an Audible book. And you don't have to walk your dog for an hour or two, just around the block, you know, and just make sure you do it the next day, too, and see what happens. And, yeah, once I – I used to always go to the gym. When I was in Costa Rica, I had a trainer, and I wanted muscles, right? I wanted arms. And – Every day I went to the gym and I just, it was just arms, right? You know, I do the begrudging leg day here and there, but it was just arms and that's all I cared about, right? And then I started getting a little bit bigger and then I was doing it wrong, so I was weaker and I just wasn't into it. And if you're just not into it, you don't do it one week and then it becomes easy to not do it another week and then, you know, two years later, you put on, you know, you're 240 pounds and you're six feet tall, as I was a couple years ago. And once I started putting it on my head, like you and I have been talking about, which is I'm doing this to feel better. It, it's just to feel better. I want to be happy. That's it. Because we think about, it, it's funny, we think, uh, let's say you go to, uh, you're flying from, uh, well, hell, let's use your, your case, Barry. You're flying from the United Kingdom to Las Vegas. going to be some serious jet lag, right? There's a lot of research that says you would think the logical thing would be is just to lay in your bed, right? Like recover. There's a lot of research that says you should go to the gym. You should sweat it out a bit. You should. I'm really convinced the only reason I was as successful as I ever was in poker is I would just to wake up, I'd go for a run, right? Like nothing strenuous, not that, you know, not like sprinting, just jogging. And I think it just wakes up and gets off the the cobwebs a little bit. And I find it's funny because before this podcast, if I want to have the energy in the podcast, you'd think like, okay, man, just hang out a little bit, watch some sports center, don't burn off all your energy really quick, uh, then have a coffee before you come in. No, it's, 
the opposite. You got you have to throw something at it. It's if you work out, you'll have more energy later. And yeah, I think as you get older, you start feeling the oh, if I eat a donut right now, that'll be awesome. <laughs> uh, let's not, let's not act like donuts aren't awesome. Our fizzy juice isn't amazing. <laughs> but you know, five minutes later, you're gonna feel like Ugh. whereas if you drink some water and have a little, you know, just lean lean protein with some with some uh, rice and, or veggies or something like that, right? Like you're gonna feel really good for the rest of the day. Yeah, maybe the initial thing is not gonna be right away amazing, but it's the five hour slow burn that you're looking for as you get older. And then the big one I have that you were always on me about, Barry, was sleep. I was not yeah. getting that much sleep for a long time because I, I, you know, I did the tough guy. Like I don't need it. Right. And it wasn't until, uh, my friend, you and my girlfriend just started clowning on me constantly for it. That I went, all right, all right, I'm going to do my eight hours of sleep. Right. And then two, three weeks later, you realize, Oh man, all those things I was stressed about, that was all brought on by my awful sleep schedule. And, you just realize as you get older, like what damage you're doing to yourself, right? Not not to your body, just to your happiness, really, when you're not doing any of this stuff. Anyways, guys, you you've heard us talk about health quite a bit before. Let's and meditation and all that good stuff. Let's get into some poker questions, shall we, Barry? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this one is from Graham. Hello, what three bet range should I be using against an aggressive serial opener if I'm playing a 30 to 40 big blind stack and also if, say, I'm playing a 20 big blind stack? Let's assume that he has the same stack or less. Then if he jams my three bet, what is my calling range here? Thanks. Well, wait, we haven't said this in a while, Barry. Do you remember <laughs> the old phrase? How did you play poker? <laughs> yeah. This is a how to play poker question. How Sorry, does Graham. one raise in no limit hold them, Alex? Oh, grab some chips, you throw them out there and see what happens there. Uh, no, but I, I get what he's driving at. I, I didn't catch his name. Was it Garrett? What was it? Graham. Graham? Graham, yeah. Graham. Okay. Thank you for your question. Name I can't pronounce. And I'm not going to try to. But I think what you're driving at is if somebody's opening a bunch here, what should I do? With 20 big blinds, if you're going to three bet, you're going to be close to committed, right? So if you really think the guy's opening a ton, you can get away with a three bet. Okay, I, I would just recommend it's one of the hardest moves to pull off. So I'm not. I actually, people ask me about this all the time. So I did just send an article about it. I would recommend just doing it from the big blind uh, because then you have nobody else to compute. Usually do it on the short stacks. Usually want to do it with a hand that it doesn't really matter what the pot odds are. You can't call. So if somebody opens from like a 20x stack and I think he's just opening everything, maybe I'll three bet fold 6x into a 20x stack if I have like nine deuce off. If I assume the guy has no calling range. But I do that play... Like, if I play the entire WCP, I might do that play, like, twice, right? Like, it doesn't come up that much. So it's one of those plays that looks super sexy in the coverage, so everybody wants to do it. But what's really going to make you all the money in poker is value betting. And speaking of which, I think – so with the 20 big blind stacks, I, I, if you're not three-bet calling uh, for value, if you don't think your hand's ahead of his range and you're willing to get it in with him – Typically, don't three-bet him, uh, especially with people to act behind you. Uh, number two, so let's say you got a guy who's a serial opener, let's say. Uh, I think part of this question was also, let's assume he's got 40 big blinds, 20 big blinds, or less. It's, okay, this is everything, but, okay, let's say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume what you meant was like 25 to 40 acts, okay? Uh, we'll start with that now, just because we did 20 on down. Uh 25 to 40, you do have a three-bet fold. You're fine three-bet folding. Uh, what should you be calling with? If you're three-betting, I would generally say 25 to 40x. Bottoming out at eights, if it's a 30 big blind or higher and you think the guy's a little tight on the four-bet, you can drop the eights, nines. 
uh, ace queen, uh, usually ace jack. I used to three bet call a lot more because the Americans had this really goofball thing where they would open suited aces and just jam because they were angry or something. Do you remember this, Barry? Do you remember that? I remember that a lot from online. Yeah. And especially in, tour, yeah, like you say, 20, 30 big blinds. You'd raise a three bet, they just jam like any suited ace and just. Yeah, get like, it in. let's see what happens. Like, you know what? This tournament, I've been playing for seven hours. Screw it. Let's get it in. Right? Anyway, people don't do that anymore. So I used to three bet call ace jack, even ace 10 for value. I don't do that as much anymore. I probably want to keep it around ace queen, ace queen. I, I mean, ace king, ace queen. Uh, that being said, what's really interesting to me is. If you look at most people's opening range, the average person's four bet is 10%. The guys who are considered really aggressive, like when I'm going over databases of, like I, I have all these students that are rags on one site, right? And we're just going over, we're, I'm looking at every one of their databases individually, and I'm looking up the guy, they say this guy's the most aggressive guy in this game. And you look at his four bet, and it's like 12.5%, which is, yeah, that's 25% more four bet than most people. But if you think about a, a guy who's opening 25% of hands, who's four betting 12% of them tops, and most of them are four betting 10%, that means, that means nine out of 10 hands the guy's flatting. This is why you guys always are, he's flatting or folding, right? If he folds, you make money, obviously. If he flats, nine, Nine times out of ten, to use that ratio again, you're making money. So what I'm really fascinated by is not that the guy jams. Most of those times, I, I install those calling ranges. I do have three-bet calling ranges put in to my Master Tournament Poker in One Class series. Uh, but that's more just of uh, that, that, that's more of something to keep them honest, right? You're not enthralled with three-betting calling tens versus a 33 big blind stack, but you kind of have to do it just to keep the guy honest, right? But what I'm really thrilled by is there's all these, if a guy opens from the low jack, high jack, or cutoff these days, on average, like, would you bet against that guy not opening 7-5 of clubs, Barry? No. Yeah, I wouldn't either. And I, especially when I'm playing live, because let's be honest, all these guys spend all their time on their iPods or they're watching the Stanley Cup Finals or whatever. And they, you know, a lot of them are. Uh, I think you're a little buzzed out of your mind if you did a little drinking the night before, smoking a little pot. You wake up, kind of, you know, you have the five-hour energy drink, and you sit down at the table, and you're kind of like bouncing between the forums and sports scores and stuff. It gets folded. You have six four suited. You're in the low jack. Like screw it, I'm opening. Like, I feel like it. I, I feel like gambling. I think you're going to run into that a lot of times in Vegas. And I don't think that guy, if you three-bet that guy, he's not, he's not four-betting as a bluff anymore, which is not a bad thing because four-bet four bluffs there are not profitable. But what he should be doing is going, why? if this person's going to three-bet me so much, should I be opening six-four suited, seven-five suited, or even ratcheting it up to ten-eight suited, nine-seven suited, jack-nine suited, jack-ten suited, eight-nine suited. These I mean, You forget, like, eight-nine suited looks like a very pretty hand. It is nine high. It is going to miss the board uh, six times out of ten, just complete brick, right? And our, let, let's, be, let's be generous and say just half the time. But any C-bet doesn't need to work half the time. So if you three-bet, these guys have all these suited connectors and all these gappers and all these unsuited broadways, and you even get a guy just opening an ace-eight offsuit on occasion, then you see the goofball, like, king-two suiteds and things like that. I am so fascinated by three-betting, getting that guy heads up in C-betting, because if you C-bet half pot, C-bet is something that you think is going to side because if they're going to fold a side they're folding about half the time 45 percent of the time somewhere around those things uh somewhere around the uh number if you bet 75 percent of the pot most people are going to raise their eyebrows at you because that's such a big bet that only needs to work 43 percent of the time right so even if the guy's just folding the high cards even if on a king eight three board the guy's going to call you with pocket twos generally the the Generally, the bet is turning a profit. 
Now, when you have like 30, 40 big blinds, a lot of people don't want to do this because it feels really stupid to three bet, C bet, and then, you know, the guy called you with his king jack offsuit and he just checked jams. Never mind the fact that he's going to miss that board the majority of the time. It feels really bad when you get caught. And it's a very human emotion. It, it, there's a lot of science that proves we do not learn from somebody telling us something. Otherwise, no, none of us would date that first bad person our parents warned us about in high school. Uh, we, don't, we only learn through experience. We touch our hand to the hot stove. It burns us. We learn forever. Well, this is when we three-bet, C-bet, the guy jams, it's the hot stove. But if we three-bet, C-bet, and the guy folds, it doesn't really feel like much of anything, especially if the three-bet was really small. You went to 2.5x, you went to 6.5x or something. The thing people don't realize is that's a home run, you manufacture like eight, nine big blinds there. That's what aces makes pre-flop. But people don't really feel much of anything when they succeed with the three bet. And it feels awful when they don't succeed because they, you go from 35x to 25x. You think like, I'm going to kill myself. I had, I had a great stack. Or, or my favorite thing, I could have picked my spots better. I have a huge edge in this tournament. What's the bigger edge going to be than a guy opening six high to your right? What, what's the big edge, right? That's, a, that's always my question in the, le- the lessons when people go, I think I could wait for a better edge. I'm like, okay, tell me, what's the better edge? Huh? You told me there's a better edge. Tell me, <laughs> where is it? I'm looking for it at this table. I don't see it. But it's one of those things that sounds really nice, and humans are really attracted to things that sound nice that sometimes just don't really mean anything. But you three bet, you see that there are now a lot of times – You'll go from 35x to 43x there, and now you got a couple three bets, a couple light three bets, and if one of those click off, God, you're just off to the races. Because now, when pe- if you're opening the right hands from the right spots, you're very wary of who's going to three bet you, and you're folding a little bit, holding on to your chips, and when you do open, you're structuring your bets in a way are going versus stack sizes that are unlikely to three bet you or people that are unlikely to three bet you. This is this like this uh, open three bet, this very strong jab counter punch game. This is what's going to get you to the final tables with 65 big blinds and nobody's going to know how the hell you did it. And you're going to be in second place in chips and you're going to be primed to win that first place pot. So that is how I would think of the three betting game right there. My friend. Okay. And next question is from Ryan. Hi, can you talk about managing a bankroll that you are willing to bust? I I have around 3k in my live poker fund. I will be West Coast at some point later this year and will be taking in five days in Vegas. I'm a cash game player, local home games with guys from work but looking to blow the 3k on tournaments and a shot at glory. Any ideas how I should split this? 3-1k's, 6-500's, etc. Also looking for advice on where definitely not to play. I've heard mixed reviews about Venetian in some of the bigger rooms. Thanks. Man, this guy's a boss. <laughs> I like Ryan here. It's like, I came to party. Let's go. Well... He's black or red. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're coming on, have fun, man. Come on, dude. I thought you wanted to party. But, uh, Ryan, the, the thing about it is it sounds like I think you're going to play cards for the right reasons, which is, hey, I've got my day job. I've got my money. I saved up my money. And instead of spending – I've been I've – been, blessed enough to talk to some tournament pros with golf recently. And I was asking the guys that are really into golf, how much do they spend? And they go, Oh my God, you have no idea, Alex, the it's thousands and thousands of dollars just for one outing. So if you think about it, a lot of fun things that adults do are pretty expensive. If, uh, well, hell everybody, I love how everybody that condones poker, you don't hear a lot of condoning of going out to the club. 
right? <laughs> there's not a there's not a ton of uh, hey, don't go blow a thousand dollars popping bottles or whatever it is. I think this is going to be really exciting. You have a real shot at some money. Just recognize it's not likely to happen. You know, you're going to play six tournaments, six five hundreds. Nine times out of ten, you're going to go 0 for 6. Just go out there for the fun of it. Make sure that 3K doesn't find its way to the strip club or those new pot uh, dispensaries that are there. Uh, Don't be drinking the night before. If you want to give yourself the best shot in these tournaments, have fun with it. By have fun with it, I mean take it seriously. Uh, Really... Pay attention to the players. Write down some notes when you're just try to write down one note after every hand. Don't make it your own, whatever that note is. Right? I like to look at what people are opening where, and I like to go after those people. Uh, I like to see if people check back pairs because typically, if they check back pairs, I, they're just see betting nothing most of the time because you usually have pairs or nothing, and we know they check back pairs. So if they're betting, a lot of times that's mostly nothing. Uh, those are the things I look for. Wake up early, grab some coffee, have some fun, play some cards. I would generally recommend you play whatever gets your blood going that's the cheapest. So, yeah, you could go play 1-3K at the WSOP, but I think the much more... How how long did he say he was going to be out there, Barry? Um, five days. Five days, so five days, so... Yeah, so I guess that would be like a $500 tournament every day. Uh, but if you could do like a $300 tournament in the morning and a $300 tournament at night, that'd be more fun, at least to me. And I think the other thing you have to be careful of doing is, have you ever seen these guys in Vegas, Barry, they just put it in on some POS hand and they go, whatever, at Binion's, they got a 250 in a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah, and you just your first thought is donk when you see that. Don't be one of these guys. Take it seriously. Play, play it like you know. Play play it like you might not get to play tomorrow because you you know you never know. You know, positive thinking. You might get hit by a bus one day. So play this. Play this like you really want it. And I, I I'm also a big fan of. I had a guy write in. And he said, what should I be listening to before I go play in Vegas? And the funny thing is, uh, there's this book, uh, Persuasion. Uh, have you ever heard of this book, Barry? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Anyway, uh, this guy, he, uh, he's the guy, he was uh, one of the advisors to Barack Obama and got him, him elected. He... Uh, helped him get elected. He's really into uh, studies that show how people are influenced by certain factors. Like if you play French music in a winery, people are more likely to buy French wines. Uh, If you show people somebody... the, The really interesting part of that book is they've done some studies. Now, obviously, they're still confirming these, and there's some studies that don't... uh confirm it, but Kahneman, the guy who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, and the gentleman behind Persuasion are generally believers in this. Motivational posters actually do something. If you hand somebody an assignment with nothing on it, and you hand somebody an assignment with somebody running through the finish line, uh, a picture of somebody running through the finish line on it, they generally work on the task more. If you're doing a negotiation, if you throw out a number, you've heard of this, anchoring, you throw out a number that's really high, just even, it has nothing to do with anything, right? Like, oh, I think there's 150,000 cities in the U.S. Okay, let's negotiate my fee. It's probably going to end up being higher. Well, one of the things I think of when you're going out to play, and they were talking about test takers, like premium test takers. Premium test takers don't study up until the test, right? Because what that does is reinforces in your mind, hey, you suck at this because you're typically reading the thing you're really bad at. And the best test takers tend to have an acceptance about what they can't answer and move along from it and really hammer on what they, they're good at, which is a lot of my successful poker forays are me recognizing what hands where I'm throwing my hands up in the air going, I, I have no idea. I can't figure this guy out. And you know, if I get a number of those in a row, I have to pay attention to it, but generally I don't. 
but uh, it's mostly just hammering on what you're good at. And I think the way you do that in Vegas is you don't focus on as much as I love Matthew John, I'm not going to read him before I go play a tournament because I'm just going to be scratching my head with all these numbers going through it going, I don't even know if I know how to play this game. I'd be exposing myself to winners. I'd be exposing myself. You could listen to something funny, watch something funny, get into that. And I think laughter or being happy will be really good. Uh, Listening to an audible book about any competitor you find really fascinating. It doesn't have to be a poker player. Uh, I think that just gets you jazzed up, and then you go into the game, and you go, yeah, I'm ready uh, to play, right? And I think that's why every time I go out to Las Vegas recently, I go to NBA Summer League, and I watch all the prospects play. I go watch minor league baseball, and I watch all the prospects play. And then when I go play poker, I'm, I'm really hyped up because it's like, look at, you know, I could get, I, I, I could make 25K, 30K today if I come out here and I really play. And I play it like it's a game and I have more fun with it. And even if I blank, like, who cares? I'm still in the league, right? I'm still, I'm still here. Whereas if I'm surrounding myself with literature that just confirms to me that I don't know anything about this game. <laughs> Right? That's when I go to play cards, I'm probably, if I bust, I'm, that's a confirming prophecy right there. That's going to have me going, man, I suck at this. So have fun with this. Remember it's a competition. Just think of the fact that you get to compete. Have fun with it. Play games. That's the other thing. Play games that have nothing to do with poker. Pinball Hall of Fame. It's a great app. Go check it out while you're there. Okay, Alex, do you have time for one small question to cram in, or do you want to wrap it up? Uh, all right, let's try. Okay, this one is from our regular writer in G. And this one is, hello, Alex, when is it better buying the showdown in Checkback River than turning your mediocre hand into a bluff on the river? Thanks. Well, G, that's... Uh that's a really good question. Well, typically when you're buying the showdown, for those of you who don't know what buying the showdown is, let's say the, the example we always use on this show is let's say I have ace nine and I raise the, I raise on the button, the big blind calls. The board comes queen of diamonds, nine of diamonds, five of spades. He checks to us. Uh, we bet because we're not pot controllers. We try to get value from our hands here at the one outer podcast and the big blind calls. The turn's a offsuit four. He checks to us. We bet because we're probably still getting value from king nine, queen, uh, king nine, queen nine, jack nine, ten, nine, nine, eight, nine, uh, nine, seven suited, jack ten, two diamonds, maybe even king jack. We bet again, and he calls because most people don't turn their draws into a bluff on the turn in tournaments. That tends to be more of a cash game play. Then they check to us on the river, and we essentially bought the showdown because people are just bad at donk betting in general, especially when it comes to the river and turn. So we have to feign like we were not pretending to check the river and take 10, 20 seconds and then check. Uh, you don't want to wrap it like, ha, 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 my play worked, and then nobody's going to trust your turn bet again. Now, what G's asking is, let's say, let's say uh, we bet there and the guy calls, and the river's a diamond, right? And let's say we have the, – the, his question is, when do you turn your hand into a bluff, right? So let's say instead of ace-nine, we have nine-seven of clubs here. So now we're not even beating any of the nines. We, we're beating the draws, the jack-ten, uh, the king-jack, the diamonds. He checks to us, and then uh, – we bet he calls. Now, we essentially just bet there because it, it might not even be a winning play on some of the times I've tried to calculate it, but if you check there and you just fold every single river, it's obviously a much larger losing play. So you kind of cut your losses there and bet. But let's say the river comes... Uh, let's say the river comes a diamond and the guy checks 
let's say, let's say the guy takes a really long time and checks. And you know for a fact, most people, when they do that, by the way, that nine times out of ten, that's people like, maybe I have a flush. Maybe I got one. Maybe I got one. Maybe I got one. I checked. Because if you think about it, most people, <laughs> when they have their buried treasure, they don't want you to know, right? So they check really quick, like, yawn. There's my... And, uh, but, uh, or they lead out, right? So let's say he checks there and you go, well, hell, I don't really beat many of the nines. I don't beat any of the queens, but I know, I'm pretty sure right now he doesn't have a flush. Okay, I'm going to turn my hand into a bluff. When should you do it? A lot of times it's when a draw comes in. And you just know combinatoric-wise, most of the time people don't have a flush draw. Uh, well, actually, that's a bad, that's a bad example. Let's say, uh, that it, because if they call it as a big blind, they have a lot more flush draw combinations. But if somebody cold calls, because then they're calling like 9-2 of diamonds and stuff like that. But if they call you from the button, they have far less flush draw combinations because obviously nobody's flatting king two of diamonds, much less nine two of diamonds or anything. But uh, let's say most of the time when you're going to turn your hand into a bluff, it's you're really, you were really at the ass end of your value range and a card came on the river that really screwed up the superior pair's equity. So that a lot of times that's a draw and honestly people do the time bank thing a little too much. Which is, Barry, have you ever hit a flush and sit there for 20 seconds then checked? I think I've done it a couple of times, but it's just not, I think most people just snap check, right? Yeah. I, I mean, let's be honest. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I've been worked over by that a few times, but the vet, I, I can't anticipate, none of my plays work 100% of the time. If it works 80% of the time, I'm lights out in my mind, and that one tends to be right 80%, 90% of the time, right? But uh, it, it's usually something like that. Like another overcard came, a draw came in. Or the way the guy called, a lot of times the guy calls on the turn really quickly. And you just, you just know for a fact like that's a pair, right? It's uh, usually... Uh, it, it's a pair and another one comes on the river and then the guy gives you gives off some timing tell. A lot of times I check jam a river because, let's say, uh, this is another one of the notes I take, which is, does a guy double barrel draws? So let's say I call out of the big blind and I have, you know, my nine six of hearts. The board comes queen nine five, he, I check, he bets, I call. Uh, the turn is the two. There's still, he's, he, I check, he checks. And I know he would have double-barreled the jack-10. The river's the eight. I check, he bets. Now, that to me is just always, I'm trying to get a little bit more out of a nine or a little bit more out of a queen. A lot of times, I'll, if I know he checks back the draw, I'll check-raise fairly large there. And by the way, when I do hit it, I check raise fairly large as well. So you have to kind of balance the time tells and stuff like that. This is honestly, G, a concept we could talk about ad nauseum, but I think this will give you a few ideas to try out the next time you play. Good luck to you. Okay, and that is all we have time for this week. Alex, thanks for squeezing that answering for a regular listener and indeed contributor by sending in questions. Alex, how can people get more information from yourself? Get on the newsletter that I raved about recently on Twitter, um, although it'll be a few weeks ago now by the time this podcast goes out, but I did mean that. I, I've been catching up on them. You're really hitting the free content just now, and I'm struggling to keep up with reading and uh, taking in the articles, but they're always very good, and I always learn something. It makes me think about uh, cards even when I'm away from the table again which is good um, especially for my Vegas trip coming up so uh, thanks for that but how can people get in touch with the free content and also any of the webinars and stuff you have on offer for sale appreciate that Barry and 
write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com if you guys have questions about anything or if you want to sign up for my newsletter, which every single day comes out with a, almost every single day comes out with a new strategy article, a new podcast, a new video. I just did an hour-long lecture that came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, all that stuff gets sent to you pretty much every day from my newsletter. If you can't figure out how to sign up for that newsletter, just write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com and I'll sign you up myself. Or you can go to pokerheadrush.com and go to the top right and sign up yourself. Pokerheadrush.com is kind of my fun little blog if you want to check that out. And uh, follow me on Twitter at the Auto and follow me at YouTube uh, at Assassinato Coaching. And, oh, check it out. I just got another series done for Tournament, tournament Poker Edge, uh, which is coming out soon. For So take a look at that. Write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com if you want to sign up for that site. I can hook you up. Take care. Good luck to you. Okay, and keep your questions coming in for Alex on future shows. Questions at onehour.com on email or tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, thanks again for joining us and we'll see you all next week. Cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.